0: Romans 7, and we'll pick up in verse 14 and read to the end of the chapter at verse 25. Let's hear now the Word of God, inerrant and infallible. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I, do, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our God and Father, We thank you so much for these truths that you have caused to be written down in your word. And we thank you that they've been delivered to us in a language that we can read and understand. But Father, we confess, even though these words are written in our language, a language that we can understand, our hearts and our minds resist understanding. And so we pray that you would overcome our resistance tonight by the work of your spirit sanctify us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think one of the, one of the basic desires of, of every Christian is to help other men and women and children find hope and comfort and happiness. And we know that in order for other men to find hope and comfort and happiness in this life. They have to understand the word of God. And so as we've worked through these first few chapters of the Westminster Confession, we have thought about some very basic, some fundamental truths. They are truths that, that enable men to understand their situation Where did you come from? Why are you here? What is your purpose in life? What is the meaning of life? We find the answers to those questions in the Bible. And we find the answer to another question. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) That's in the Bible. And it's very important for us to understand that because, listen, there are lots of voices um, talking to you every day on Talk radio, uh, friends, or you're sitting, in, uh, you're sitting in, a, in a waiting room somewhere and, and you're, you're reading magazines and, and there are voices, there's social media, there are voices that are talking to you and they are trying to tell you what is true. And a lot of them are trying to tell you um, how to overcome your problems. And often, if you're in the checkout line at the, at the, um, at the supermarket, they will give you five steps Or ten steps to a better you. I wish it were that easy. As we think about contentment and satisfaction in this life. It is of utmost importance that you understand your current relationship to sin even as a christian so that you will understand why it sometimes seems like happiness and joy and comfort are right at the tips of your fingers and you can't you can't seem to grasp it contentment and satisfaction in this life comes not from perfecting your circumstances but through resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that once more. Contentment and satisfaction in this life comes not from perfecting your circumstances, but through resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are not content because we do not understand the need for sanctification the need, we do not understand the need for sanctification because we do not understand the powerful work of indwelling sin. If I could put it this way, there is an enemy within you that is working and scheming every single moment of every single day to kill you. The corruption of sin remains even in the born-again believer. Failure to understand this leads to the error of Wesleyan perfectionism. You can live perfectly in this life. It leads to pursuit of unholy means to personal gratification and happiness. It leads to an unbalanced dependence on external assistance for spiritual fruits what we'll see tonight is that the corruption of sin, listen, the corruption of sin is the source of all your sorrows. Every single one of them. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit is the source of all your joy. And if I could... If if we could grasp that principle, then we could successfully counsel one another, help one another, encourage one another, and walk faithfully with one another until God calls us home. Westminster Confession, chapter 6, paragraph 5, says this. This corruption of nature during this life remains in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Paragraph 6. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary thereunto, does in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all the miseries spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So let's look at this. I've worked it down to three points. The first one is sin and the Christian, our relationship to it. We are cleansed and yet corrupt. We are cleansed and yet corrupt. The confession reminds us that corruption of nature remains in the regenerate. In 1 John 1, verse 8 and verse 10, John writes an important uh, verse on this very topic. Listen to what John said. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, you know that sandwiched in between those is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. So I have a question for you. When you read those words and you see that John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, who does John include in that we? Well, at the very least, we would say John is included in that we, wouldn't we? John is included in that we. And he's writing to the church of Jesus Christ, saying these words, if we That means John the Apostle and you the church member say that we, John the Apostle and you the church member, have no sin in us. We deceive ourselves. And so one of the points that we take away from that is even John, as an apostle who had seen Christ in his flesh, uh, uh, reclined in the bosom of Christ at the Last Supper, even in him, sin remained. So that he would say of himself, I am yet I am yet a sinner. This corruption of nature remains. Paul, the apostle, lamented the presence of sinful desire in himself. We just read this in Romans chapter 7. Remember verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. In verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see, here's the problem, brothers and sisters. Sin lives in us. Sin lives within us. It's, it's in there. James and Solomon remind us that no man achieves perfection in this life. Listen to James in, in chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. In many ways, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I've made it pure? The expected answer is not one of us. What about Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20? Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That man doesn't exist. He's a fairy tale. He's an imaginary man. What the scriptures are saying is that when the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again, listen, this is a very important principle. He frees you from the condemning power of sin. It can no longer condemn you, but the corrupting power of sin remains. Now you might say, why is that? Why is it that even, even when, when God delivers us from the condemning power of sin, why doesn't he free us from the con- corrupting power? I would love to live a holy and perfect life. And, and I don't know the answer to that question apart from this is his wisdom. I think though, at least in part, it is so that we will always remember that we are never sufficient in and of ourselves. We are always dependent on Him and need the grace of Jesus Christ. So so when you think about this, when you grasp this truth, okay, you and I as Christians, we are in a daily warfare. Not with somebody in our house, not with a co-worker, uh, not with the men who collect our garbage, not with the men who run the utilities, not with our city councilmen, not with uh, Russians or Ukrainians. You and I have a daily war with ourselves. We have a fight against sinful desires. And what we're we're reminded of by this, listen, that circumstances don't cause us to sin. Uh, Just yesterday morning at men's breakfast, we were looking at Genesis chapter 16. And we, we see um, we see this situation with Sarah, uh, S- uh, Sarah, her name was Sarai still at the time, and Abram. And God had promised them a son 12 years earlier. 12 years! And, and we might think to ourselves, who can wait that long? Uh, surely Sarai is excused for telling her husband to go and make a baby with Hagar, her her um, housemaid. Go and have a baby with her. And maybe Abram is excused from saying, that sounds like a great idea. And maybe they're excused from when the baby, when she's finally pregnant and she starts to look with scorn at Sarai, maybe they're excused from saying, I, I don't like her anymore, send her out into the wilderness. Maybe Abram's excused, when he said, that sounds like a great idea. Go with your unborn baby and best of luck to you. But we know that that was sinful. Sarah was in sin. Abram was in sin. Even though the circumstances were difficult, they were called to wait on the Lord and do what was right. If anybody had an excuse, don't you think Joseph, all the many years that he spent in prison, unjustly accused, would have been able to come out and said, victim card, but he didn't. Your circumstances do not cause you to sin. They induce you to sin. They tempt you to sin. And I think of Abram, and certainly it was difficult for him. Not only is he having to say no to sin, he's having to say no to his wife through whom they come. How hard is that? When a child comes to you and says, Daddy, 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 Mommy, 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 and you just want to pull your hair out. You say, I have, no, I, have I have, an excuse. I couldn't endure it any longer. No. Your sin comes from within. Your sin dwells within you, and it is seeking to come out. And listen, it will use every opportunity that it it can use. Um, Grief, pain, turmoil, animosity, all of them. Sin is wicked, and it will use them all to pull you into greater and greater sin. Paul said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Do you you understand now why, why the Lord Jesus would say to his disciples, watch and pray, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation." You have to kill sin. John Owen said, the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. Your great war is not out there, it's in here. You are born again, but the corrupting power of sin is still there, seeking to destroy you. Secondly, thinking of sin and the Christian, you are forgiven and yet sinful. The confession reminds us that through Christ, your sin is pardoned. It is put away. And that's a certainty through Christ. Through Christ, your sin is put to death. Your sin went into Christ's tomb, and it did not rise again. This is why the words that we read in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's why it's true. You are pardoned once and for all. Your sin is put to death once and for all. You are forgiven and nothing can take that away from you. No lapse, no fall, no backslide. If you are truly in Christ, nothing can take away the status of forgiven, nothing. But we can't confuse that truth with the thinking that we cannot still sin. We are forgiven, yet we are sinful. And the confession reminds us that we're sinful in two ways. We have this corrupt nature within us. And that nature in and of itself is at odds with God. It is a sinful nature. And All of the motions of that corrupt nature are sin. Let me give you just an example of what we're talking about here. Over the past few years in our denomination, we've had this debate raging over same-sex attraction. And on one side of the debate are our friends who say that same-sex attraction in and of itself is not sin homosexual activity, homosexual behavior, that is sin. But the desire is not sin. And some of our friends will insist that this is true because they will quote secular psychologists who say that 99% of same-sex attracted people will never change their orientation. And they'll say, see, you can't call this sin. Because I can't help it. But the confession reminds us that it's not only the nature itself, all of the emotions, the desires, the thoughts, the habits that come out of this corrupt nature, that in and of itself is sin. This is why Jesus would say it it doesn't matter if you never actually physically fornicate with a woman, although that is far worse but if you lust after her in your heart, that is also sin. To hate someone in your heart uh, wickedly is sin, even if you never murder them. This is not about uh, and this is not about being right. This is about whether we can offer hope to our friends who say, I'm same-sex attracted on the basis of the Spirit's work? do you see? Can I say to Him, there's hope for you in the Gospel that you can live a Christ-honoring life, that you can overcome this desire through the Spirit's work? Can we offer hope to these folks? Can we offer hope to the depressed, to the anxious, to the despairing, Does the Spirit work? Does He work? Does He enable men to overcome even the most heinous desires? Is joy a spiritual gift? Is self-control? Can Christ give it? You see, this is what's at stake. Does the Gospel give a little hope does it exclude certain people does it exclude the one who's who's deeply into his same-sex attraction does it exclude the person who who can't even get out of bed who just wants to keep the curtains closed are they beyond the work of the holy spirit do they need professional counseling One of the things that this reminds us of is that in all of these cases, listen, what we're not saying, what the confession is not saying is that if a man is truly believed, at some point he'll arrive at the day where he never wrestles with same-sex attraction. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that the truly redeemed man will wrestle with it. He will not give in to his despair. He will not give in to his anxiety. He will not give in to his worry. He will fight it till the day that he dies. Even if God never frees him from it in this life, he will fight by the Spirit's help. That's what we're saying. The confession says, going back to paragraph five, During this life, the corruption of nature during this life remains in those who are regenerated. In this life, you and I will never totally overcome this corruption of of nature. We'll never overcome it. But we might have little victories, do you see? We might have great victories. But you'll never have any victory if you don't rightly diagnose the problem. Do you see? If you don't understand that these issues come from sin in the believer's heart, then you'll have no victory. You and I will not finally overcome sin until we die. R.L. Dabney, Puts it this way, Scripture and common sense attribute some obstacles to entire sanctification, to the continuance of the animal appetites in man. While God's omnipotence could overcome those obstacles, yet it is according to His manner of working that He has seen fit to connect the final completeness of His work of grace in the soul with this last change, that is, of death. In other words, it's God's wisdom to leave it this way. We were, again, our men's Bible study yesterday morning, we were thinking about Hagar, and she's being roughly treated by Sarah. Surely she wanted to go. I think when Abram said, go into the wilderness, maybe she was a little bit afraid, but also there's probably a little bit of relief. Anything is better than living with this woman. Then she goes off into the wilderness, and the Lord meets her, and what does He say? Go back! well, what? 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 I'll just, I'll live here by this well and eat weeds and drink the water rather than go back. He says, go back. And I think when we don't fully grasp this doctrine, do you see what it takes away from us is our willingness to endure difficult circumstances waiting on the Lord to bring victory. I want overnight success. I want something to make me feel better. I want something to make me uh, overcome this issue tomorrow. I don't want to wait. But the Lord oftentimes says, wait. He told Abram, I will give you a child. And he waited 25 years. Sometimes the lesson is simply this. If you have Christ, you can endure. As long as you live in this flesh, I hate to say it, but it's true. As long as you live in this flesh, the pangs of the sinful flesh will war within you. You will covet and crave. And you'll be dissatisfied because you don't have. You will lust and long and grow angry and impatient. You will grieve and hurt because you cannot have what your flesh desires. And all of this comes from within. And it has to be sanctified by the Spirit and is given to you as a reminder of what you need. You need Him. Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let me just, I didn't put this in my notes, but I think this is why the body of Christ is so important to us. Do you understand? Because there are some things that you are strong in that I'm weak in. And there are some things that you're weak in that I am strong in. And God puts us together in a body of Christ so that we can walk together. And you limp on your right leg. And I limp on my left leg. But together we have two good ones. And we can go together to the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, and saying, one more day, one more day, one more day. You have to pursue holiness. And it begins with the realization that the corrupting of power of sin remains in you. It is to blame for your despair and your discontentment. And it is sin before God. You have to repent and seek God's help. You have to persevere in prayer and faithfulness until God grants victory. Some people say, I tried prayer. I tried reading the Bible. It's not an aspirin. The Holy Spirit is not Novocaine. An aspect of this sanctification will be that you learn to trust God when the clouds are dark. Thirdly, God is angry with men because of original sin and actual sin. This is paragraph six. All men are guilty for two reasons. You're guilty of Adam's sin, and we've addressed that. If you are born of a man and a woman, you inherit Adam's sin. That's important because Christ is exempt. But you're not only guilty of Adam's sin, you're guilty of the sin that flows from Adam's sin, the actual sins that you commit. You're guilty because both original sin and actual sin are transgressions of the law of God. They are contrary to the law of God. As John explains in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Therefore, what is Sanctification. Sanctification is the pursuit of lawfulness. That is, the study and application of God's law. How many of us labor under despair and hopelessness because we simply will not obey God? Because of this guilt, men are bound over to the wrath of God, the curse of the law, and are made subject to death. Why do men die? Because they're sinners. But the confession concludes this paragraph by talking about the miseries of this life, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. The spiritual misery. Men are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They can't understand. They they can add, they they can count. As one author says, men can count, but they cannot understand why counting makes sense. Because they deny the Creator. There are temporal miseries, Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Lamentations 3.39. Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? Let me read that again. Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? You've heard me say this before, but I think this is important, that every man, every Christian, ought to accept the reality of that there is no hardship on this earth that you don't deserve. That's a hard one. But there's no hardship on this earth that you and I don't deserve. Instead, we are trained from birth, usually from, through bad parenting, to believe that we always deserve the best. I mean, after all, I got a participation trophy. In fact... No matter how bad things get in this life, you and I actually deserve way worse if hell is a testament. There are temporal miseries and there's the eternal misery. As Christ said in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Some men can sense their own destruction you know that these are the men who live in abject terror of of death I think about Dave Lindsay I think about my grandmother who were ready for the Lord to call them home but some men are the exact opposite and they are absolutely terrified of dying they know they are going to hell And they demonstrate it by doing everything they can to stay alive. So, the corruption of sin is the source of all your sorrows. And the sanctification of the Spirit is the source of all your joy. Contentment, I'm going to go back through my opening. Contentment and satisfaction in this life comes not from perfecting your circumstances, not by getting your pillows just how you like them on your bed, but through resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not content because we do not understand the need for sanctification. We do not understand the need for sanctification because we do not understand the powerful work of indwelling sin. The corruption of sin remains in the born-again believer. Yet the inner, inner working of the Holy Spirit, you may know, no, through His working, you may know real joy, real joy. You may know real contentment, real peace, And real happiness in spite of horrible external circumstances. For even Paul learned to be content whether he was rich or poor. Because true joy is found in communion with the unchanging, all-powerful God who never changes. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are so kind. As we think of these things that we deserve. Father, every affliction in this life, telling Hagar to go back and live under the thumb of Sarai was just a reminder of of what what each of us really deserves. There is a real hell that has been prepared for the devil and his angels and every rebel. It's an eternal punishment. And this reminds us that that's what we deserve. And every affliction of this life is only a taste of that reality. But Lord, You've caused us to be born again. And despite everything that we deserve, You've given us a real hope. You've given us a real reason to live. You've given us a real reason to rejoice and sing in this life to worship You. And I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight. Lord, you know every need. You know every heart, you know every worry, you know every despair, you know every every ang- anger, every every reason for anger. And I pray, Lord, help us to re- recommit ourselves tonight to fighting against our sinful flesh. And we pray that you'd give us a significant portion of your holy spirit so no matter what comes, we can say, I trust the Lord. Be still, my soul. Amen.